feels like fall today, doesn't it? I mean, the kids are back in school, college students are back in Columbia, football starts on Thursday night, and the 945 service is packed. I, I absolutely love it, and I hope you're as excited as I am for fall to start. Now, I know you want to have a great fall for you, your family, your friends. If somebody would ask you, what's one thing that I could do that would make my fall better, what would you tell them? Like, what advice would you have for them? Maybe you go, well, I don't really think that way. What would make my fall happier, better? I don't think that way. And I disagree. Sometimes I think that's the only way we think about our life. Because it's the pursuit of happiness, a, a better life, that drives almost every decision that we make. Right? It's why we go to the gym. Because we think it'll make us happier to be in good shape. It's why we change jobs or start a new relationship or end an old one or take another drink or take a vacation or binge Netflix. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that everything you do will make you happier. What I'm saying is at least in the moment, you think that what you're doing will make you happier. But the problem is that we're not very good at predicting what will really make us happy, right? There, there's a lot of things that we invest our time, our effort, our energy in because we think it'll lead to a better life, and it doesn't. And then there's a lot of things that really would lead to a better life, a happier life, but for some reason, we ignore them even though they would give us what we desperately want. Kyle Martin uh, learned that. He's 18 years old, and this is part of his valedictorian speech before his high school class. This time last year, I found out that I was in the running for this title. It was then that I decided I wanted it. So, I worked hard for it. I sacrificed for it. And yes, I stressed for it, and I got it. And at our senior award ceremony, it felt so good when I heard my name announced with this title. It's so good. For about 15 seconds. Yeah, 15 seconds of my heart racing and my adrenaline pumping. 15 seconds of, yeah, I won. 15 seconds of being at the top of the pile of all my accomplishments. And it felt euphoric. But there must come a 16th second. And on that 16th second, Sat down in my seat, I looked at my silver stole that says valedictorian, and I thought, that's it? <laughs> what just happened? Why, why am I not feeling anything else? We know that feeling, don't we? We know the feeling of the 16th second. We know the feeling of, of striving after something, of working towards something, of looking forward and anticipating something and getting it, and it's not all we thought it'd be. In the 1930s, Harvard commissioned a study to try to answer one question. What is it that makes people happy? The study was called the Harvard Study of Adult Development, and it was a longitudinal study, meaning that they just followed the same people through every year of their life for, for decades, and they would keep adding more people to the study so that it became the largest and longest longitudinal study that's ever been done. 
They started with kids from Harvard, both the wealthy ones that came from great families and also the ones who got there on scholarship that didn't have as much. But then they went out into the Boston community, into the inner city, and got the poorest kids from Boston to put in this group. And like I said, they kept adding to it as they went through the study, year after year, decade after decade. And this was an incredibly thorough study. I mean, they interviewed the people each year. They went to their hometowns. They talked to their family and friends. They looked at their health records. They followed their career track, their earnings, everything. And after decades of this study going on, here's what the Harvard Gazette, kind of like the campus newspaper, said about the conclusion of the study. It said, close relationships, more than money or fame, are what keep people happy throughout their lives. Those relationships are better predictors of long and happy lives than social class, IQ, or even genes. Then the people who are running this study that's still going on today, this Harvard study for adult development, they put out a book recently called The Good Life. And here's what the directors of the study say that they've learned. It's what they say in the book, The Good Life. They say, in fact, good relationships are significant enough that if we had to take all 84 years of the Harvard study and boil it down to a single principle for living, one life investment, it would be this. Good relationships keep us healthier and happier, period. So that takes us back to where we started, to my question to you of of what's one thing you could do this fall that would make your life better, that would make you happier. Turns out, though, that the answer is not one that any of us expected. It turns out the answer to that question is to invest in meaningful, deep relationships. Now, do you know who's always known that? Do you know who didn't need an elite university like Harvard to do a long, expensive, drawn-out study to find out that deep, meaningful relationships, human connection, is what makes life good, that not, they're not just essential but they're absolutely necessary to our life. You know who's always known that? Wait for it. God. Yeah, God. Because all the way back at the beginning of the Bible, in the very first pages, in the Garden of Eden, before sin had ever entered entered the world, when everything was perfect, God said this in Genesis 2.18. It is not good for the man to be alone. Think about how much we could learn from this one verse. Adam, that's the man. He lived in Eden, which is uh, uh, just another word for paradise. He had everything, everything that we think will make us happy. He lived in paradise, which I've heard is better than the mountains. It's better than the beach. Wait for it. It's better than even living in Colorado. Yep, I, I heard. I heard, because everybody in Missouri wants to move to Colorado. I don't understand why, but they do. But Adam had all that. He had it all. He had a job tending and cultivating the garden that was given him directly by God. He knew his work was important and mattered. He he experienced the, the best food, the best sunsets, the most beautiful place you could possibly be. But all of that wasn't enough. All of that wasn't enough because it is not good for him to be alone. And from that verse, we learn that God did not just create us for a relationship between him and us, but he also, he also created us for relationships with other people, connection with with other people. So, So catch this, breaking news alert. Harvard agrees with God. 
right? I mean, how often does that happen? But, but Harvard agrees with the Bible. And when Harvard agrees with the Bible, I think you and I should pay attention. I don't know, just something I think. So now we're here. We're started last week. Dave kicked off a new sermon series through the first half of the book of Acts. And, and we have this devotional workbook that you got if you came last week, but if you didn't get it, there's some out still at the table in the foyer. And what the workbook does is it gives you kind of questions each day to work through the passage that we're going to preach on the following Sunday. So you can bring it and take notes in it or whatever you want. But I'd encourage you to grab one of those. I think it'll help you get a lot more out of the book of Acts. Today we are in Acts chapter 2. And what we're going to see in Acts 2 is that God has an answer for this deep fundamental human need to live in community. God's answer to that need in our heart is church. The earliest Christians, when they become Christians, what did they do? Well, Acts 2, we find out. Verse 42. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. Now just notice how many times it uses that word together. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give away to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. It's interesting that the Bible never uses the word church to refer to a building. It's a little confusing for us because in English, we call this building the church. But if you had used the word church to talk about a building to people who are meeting there in the New Testament, it wouldn't have made any sense to them. I mean, they didn't even have buildings. They met in people's homes. So if you said, hey, to somebody in, in the early church, if you say, hey, where's the church? They wouldn't have said, well, take your camel you know, down two dirt roads and make a right, and the church will be there on your left. They would not think about giving you directions to a building. So when we read Acts 2, we see, okay, the church isn't a building, but we also see this, neither is the church a worship service. I think a lot of us get confused about that because people say they attend this church or that church, they're a part of of, of some other church, but what they really mean is they show up for a worship service. But Acts 2 doesn't say a church is a worship service. Now, I'm as pro-worship service as you can get. I think that a worship service is an incredibly important part of a church and an absolutely essential part of following Christ. And yet, the church is something different than a building or a worship service. See, what Acts 2 tells us is that the church is a community of people who are following Jesus together. That word together It was used three times in those short amount of verses because what the the author of Acts, Luke, is trying to tell us is that there's a relational connection there. That it's not just people doing a bunch of things underneath the same roof, but, but there's a connection. They do things together. Not only that, but they're devoted to doing them. So what's devoted mean? Instead of doing a dictionary definition, just think of some synonyms you would use for devoted. What else would you say? If you wanted to say they're devoted to something, but you couldn't use that word, what would you put in there? 
committed, involved, occupied with, dedicated to. So, so what is it the early Christians were devoted to doing? Well, let's go all the way back to the first verse we read. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So where do we find the apostles' teaching today? We find that in the Bible. So they were, they were devoted to studying the Bible together. They were devoted to fellowship, was just encouraging each other to follow Jesus. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. That's communion, which, by the way, we're going to do next week. And communion is a sign of the gospel. They were devoted to prayer, meaning they were devoted to depending on God together. And they didn't do this just individually. They did it together. So so now I think if the early Christians were devoted to this, it seems fair to ask, are you and I devoted to Jesus' church? Would someone look at us and say, we're committed to doing these things together? Not to a dinner club, but but to something that is meaningful, that's really going to grow our faith. See, the crossing isn't a building. The crossing isn't a worship service. The crossing isn't a brand. It's not a, it's not a statement of faith. The crossing has all of those things. We have a worship service in a building and a statement of faith. Right, I get it. But that's not what fundamentally we are. See, fundamentally, the crossing is a community of believers who want to follow Jesus together. Let me show you the opposite of the Acts 2 community. It's opposite, but I think it's descriptive of how a lot of Christians think about their faith. It comes from a book called Habits of the Heart, uh, which was kind of an investigation of American culture, including religious culture. Look what the author said. I think it's really interesting. One person we interviewed has actually named her religion after herself. This suggests the logical possibility of over 330 million American religions, one for each of us. Sheila Larson is a young nurse who has received a good deal of therapy and who describes her faith as Sheilaism. Now, this is a quote from Sheila. She says, I believe in God. I can't remember the last time I went to church. My faith has carried me a long way. It's Sheilaism. Just my own little voice. Now, as funny as Sheilaism sounds, or naming your faith after yourself, it, it doesn't sound right. But I think it kind of reflects our commitment to individualism. Right? Individualism reigns in the culture, but guess what? It often reigns in Christians' mind, in the way we think, in the way we approach our faith. And individualism within Christianity has promised us so much. I mean, it's told us that we can do our faith on our own. It's told us that, that, that we don't have to be accountable to other people. That you do you, and I'll do me, and you don't bother me, and I won't bother you. It's told us that we don't have to be a part of a small group. It's told us that we're fine by ourselves. The, the, the key word associated with, with individualism is convenience. If it's convenient, if it meets my need, then I'll do it. But here's the problem. Individualism promised so much, but then came the 16th second. The 16th second has come for an individual approach to the Christian faith. Individualism promised so much, but it didn't deliver. It left us disconnected, empty, and lonely. Let's go back to the end of the verses that we read earlier, the last verse, 
the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. See, it's in that Acts 2 community where people are devoted to one another and following Christ together that God shows up and changes lives. And so our theme for this fall, our theme is you belong here. You belong here. God wants you to be a part of this community, and we want you to be a part of it too. You belong here, no matter where you're from or where you work, or no matter, no matter how you live or what you look like, no matter, no matter how you voted or how much or how little money you have, we want you to know that you belong here in Jesus' community at the crossing. Now, we made our theme for this fall, You Belong Here, but we stole it from Veritas, our college ministry, because the last academic year, the one that ended in May, that was their theme, You Belong Here. And I, they may have stolen it from someone else, because when I get stuff from the Zoo Alumni Association, oftentimes it says, You Belong Here on it. And it seems like everywhere I go, people have signs up that says, Everyone is Welcome Here, or some riff version of, of that. So did we pick our fall theme, you belong here, because we were lazy and we just copied everybody else or uncreative? Maybe, I don't know. But, but, but no, here's the reason we chose it to be our theme this fall, is because even though the culture can see the problem, the culture can see the loneliness, the culture can see the emptiness, the culture can see the disconnection, it knows that the 16th second has come for individualism, they can see the problem, but they don't have a solution. They don't have a solution. The church has what the culture desperately wants, and that is the kind of connection, human connection, relational connection that transforms us, that leaves us happier. So why does the church have it? Like, what do we have that nobody else does? And, and that's the presence of God. God is here. And you go, well, hang on a second, time out. Isn't God present outside of the church too? Well, of course, he's God. He is everywhere. It, it, you say, well, isn't God in nature? Absolutely he is. But you know what the Bible never says? Meet me in the mountains on Sunday morning. God never says it. But you know what God says over and over? Meet me in an Acts 2 community. Meet me in an Acts 2 community because God shows up in an Acts 2 community in a special, powerful way that he does it in other places. I want to show you how that kind of transforming uh, God-centered culture plays out, that you belong here, culture. I want to show you how it played out the last academic year in Veritas. Let's watch this. A lot of times college students come to Columbia and they think that college is going to be the best time of their lives. A lot of times what I think we see is that college ends up not being uh, as initially exciting as, as maybe expected. Uh, a lot of college students experience loneliness. They, they feel isolated, and college can be a really lonely place. We started using a small phrase, um, you belong here. It was a, a phrase that helped them know that we believe that they can bring their messiness and their loneliness, their anxiety, the sin or the brokenness that they're dealing with, and they can just come as they are. And so as soon as they arrive, we want them to feel seen, welcomed, known, loved. You know, all of those things became things that, that we sought to really enforce for college students, that Veritas would be a place that they could feel like, these are my people, Jesus is what I'm looking for, this is a place that I feel like I belong. 
uh, came up with the idea of having people write out uh, just ways that they have seen God be faithful to them, the things that they have witnessed in their life that He has done. And so people had the chance to write how God had changed them from death to life, how they had felt brought into, again, things like hope and joy. Um, and, and man, we were just blown away. My name is Izzy, I'm a Veritas student, and this is what I wrote. My name's Millie, and this is my card. My name is Kristen, and what I wrote on my card was, God has given me the best group of friends I have ever had, friends that brought, have brought me closer to God and to becoming who I'm supposed to be. God has given me real love. When I felt depressed and alone, God sent me the greatest friends to pull me out of it and to encourage me in my faith when I had so many doubts. I had been begging God for community for three years. This year, through Veritas, God led me to it. Jesus has given me a new life through Veritas and the people I've met here. I found my belonging here because I found Jesus here. In my darkest moments, my farthest times away from God, God never left me. He welcomed me home with open arms and his love for me has never changed. God has turned my entire life around he has given me his spirit of peace. I've witnessed his plan for my life. God completely turned my life around this year. I started coming to Veritas in the summer as a non-believer, and God filled my life with so much love and answers to questions. I've met my best friend. I have a really awesome relationship with God in the center of it, and I can't stop thinking about that Jesus guy. I can't stop thinking about that Jesus guy. God is powerfully at work in college students' lives. He's powerfully at work on campus, but God is also powerfully at work in every Acts 2 community. He wants to be powerfully at work in your life. But we have to devote ourselves. We have to follow the plan that Jesus set out for us and devote ourselves to that kind of community. And so I want to invite you, no matter where you are, no matter if this is your first week or you've been here for 23 years when the church started, I want to invite you to take a step to connection. I want to invite you to take a step into deeper community. I want to ask you to be more devoted to Jesus' church. When you came in, you may have seen that we have these big You Belong Here boards in a couple, in a couple places around the church. And we have Polaroid cameras because we want you to take a picture of yourself, your friends, your family, whoever you are with, and then post that Polaroid up on the wall. Because it is a reminder to us that we are the church, that Jesus didn't die for a building, that Jesus didn't die for a worship service. Jesus loved and died and gave his life for people. And we have these, 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 uh, another big wall that just says, God did this. These little cards that you can write something that God has done in your life. And then you can put your name on it or anonymous, it doesn't matter. And you can post it up on the wall so that when other people go by and read those, they get encouraged. If God worked in his life, if God worked in her life, then maybe God will work in my life. You belong here. We want you to be a part of what we're doing. And so what we did is we created these little connection cards, just one place where you could go and find out the ways you get connected. When you walk out of here, you'll be offered one of those. 
And you take a little QR code, scan it with your camera, and, and it'll this little site that just gives you, is it women's, is it men's, is it a small group, is it grief ministry, divorce care, high school, college, just click on those. And you'll see there's, a, there, there's even one about serving. Now, I highlighted the Crossing Kids one because I got a text here this morning that said, unfortunately, we had to turn away kids from Crossing Kids this morning, not because we have enough space, but because we just don't have enough volunteers. So it's hard to say you belong here, but not your kids uh, to, to people, right? So we got to solve that problem, and hopefully you'll click that and help me solve it today. See, I, I think I know what you're thinking, and I just know that because it's what I'm thinking too if I were you. And that is this. It, it's hard to convince me that being more committed, serving, doing those kind of things relationally, going through all that is really going to make me happier. The truth is the habits of individualism are hard to break. They're hard to break. We just get so allured by the promise of doing my own thing that, that showing up in a small group and having to work through all that, it's just hard. I, I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to make a commitment. I don't want to go through that awkwardness. But remember I told you that we are really bad at predicting what will make us happy. So one more story. The University of Chicago, another elite university, does the study on the Chicago subways, bus system, train system. What they do is they take two groups of people. And one group, they just say, you know, do what you want on your bus ride, train ride, subway ride. And so they, you know, put in their AirPods, they grab a book, they just veg, sleep, whatever they want to do. And the other people, they say, you have to initiate a conversation with a stranger on this bus, on this subway. And they're like, I'm like, what? I mean, these are, that's the last thing we'd want to do. We just, just, just put me into my AirPods and let me do my thing. Then they talked to him afterwards, and across the board, the results were the people who had initiated a conversation with a random stranger were happier. No one would have guessed that. No one thought that. No one expected that because we're not good at knowing what will make us happy. So I know that you can tell yourself a story that if I get in a small group or a men's group, if I serve, that's going to be a house. It, just trust God. Could you trust Harvard? If not, trust Harvard. How about trust God? Because it'll make you happier. Because that's what you were designed for. You've probably heard that Jesus died for you. And that's true. He died for you. But it's not true enough because Jesus also died to make you a part of his church and his community. Jesus' love for you so that he came and gave his life for you so that you could have salvation in him. But also, he wants to make you a part of this, connected, relationally connected to each other who help you follow Jesus. You don't want to resist his love, do you? You don't want to turn away from what his best for you is, do you? You want God's best for your life. See, Jesus died so that you could belong here. He died so that no matter where you live or how much you make or where you work, no matter what you look like or who you voted for, no matter how much education or how little, Jesus died to save you and to bring you a part of this community. That's how much he loves you. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would make us an Acts 2 community devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the gospel, to prayer. 
that you would make us the kind of people who encourage one another. Jesus, we need you, but we also need each other. Help us, Jesus, to be devoted to the people you died for. Help us, Jesus, to be devoted to your church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand and receive God's blessing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us this Sunday morning. Have a great day.